everybody to the Swim Bros Podcast. We are back and better than ever from remote locations for the first time. Grant is coming to us live from Colorado Springs in Colorado, and I am in New Jersey, beautiful New Jersey. Grant, how do you feel about our first remote podcast? Uh, definitely interested to see how it works out. Uh, doing it at the desk next to my roommate, Zach Pody here right now, so it should be interesting and uh, interested to hear his thoughts once he's just hearing one person have a one-sided conversation the entire time. <laughs> this definitely is uh, got quite a different feel to it when you're just staring into your microphone instead of your uh, interview subject's eyes. But um, yeah, so I got a brand new microphone just last night, actually, Grant. Uh, pretty excited about it. It's called a Blue Snowball, and it's got this NPR setting. Let me let me turn it on real quick and see if you can feel the difference here. This is the Swim Bros Podcast coming to you live from NPR Radio. Wow. Uh, we have Grant House joining us here from Colorado <laughs> Springs, where he's going to share a little bit about what the Olympic Training Center is like today. Grant, yes. talk to us about it. Yeah, so now we have the Blue Yeti and the uh, Blue Snowball. <laughs> could you could you tell the difference with the NPR? Yeah, there was a little bit of reverb, some echo. Okay, yeah, good. Well, I turned it off, so <laughs> we'll go ahead and, and launch into it. Um, first of all, uh, just, I guess, a little explanation of why you are in Colorado right now for our listeners. Uh, it is swimming-related, so we'll go ahead and, and why don't you tell us a little bit what, what you're doing at Altitude right now. Yeah, so uh, Coach Bob Bowman selected a hand, handful of individuals from the ASU swimming team to come up to Colorado Springs the Olympic Training Center from uh, June 7th to July 4th to get what is has been known as some of the best quality training type of training method um, in in the world today. Uh, training at altitude, kind of have the body physiologically adjust to a, a new stimuli, and while undergoing the same the same training. But he uh, brought the ASU team, some of the individuals up here, and then we'll also be joined by a couple of professional swimmers as well, uh, a couple of swimmers from Georgia, a couple of collegiate swimmers from Georgia as well. And uh, we'll be having a mix and mash of uh, both male and female swimmers up here. So that's, that's a pretty special opportunity. And uh, to be up there for a month is really, I assume, pretty uncommon. So I guess, uh, you know, before we get into some of the benefits and the reasoning behind training at altitude, Grant, you have been here at the Alti- at the Olympic Training Center before. Uh, talk to us about why you've been there before and uh, a little bit about kind of the amenities that the OTC offers. Are you staying in uh, an apartment there? Do you guys rent a house? How does it work? In 2014, I was lucky to qualify for the National Select Camp uh, in, in my age group, and I was able to come up here for about three and a half days and kind of get a glimpse at what it was like to kind of undergo the Olympic development and showed us like the progressions we go through and kind of give us an inside look into what it would take for future steps to come. Uh, When I was here, there were several things different. They were undergoing a lot of construction that is finally finished uh, today, and it's it's much more updated and uh, very, very nice here. They updated the rooms, the dorm rooms, which are staying in, uh, just a typical residence hall. You might expect it uh, a college campus maybe a couple of years ago. Um, nothing too extravagant, but the amenities you need, sink, two beds, and closet space for clothes. So that's where we're staying. If you're on the national team or a former Olympian, they have space allocated like a miniature apartments, uh, which some of our, our the people coming to the altitude camp will be staying in because um, we'll have several, several national team members joining us as well. So they'll be staying in those kind of separate quarters. And then 
the second time I was up here was for about three and a half days again with the national junior team in 2015. And that was just for like a miniature training camp. Um, so I haven't really been up here long enough to get like the, the full adaptation and the full benefits from it, but just kind of been up here long enough two times to get like a kind of personal hands-on look at how things are run here and the resources available. So you mentioned full adaptation um, and benefits. What Can you talk to us a little bit more about what what exactly is the benefit of training at altitude supposed to be? Uh, what's what's the end result of this? What is uh, essentially are you trying to walk away from Colorado Springs with? Yeah, so when you're training at a higher altitude, essentially the there's the the air is thinner. People will say so your body is able to take in less oxygen and it gets to your red blood cells um, less efficiently and less quickly. Um, and so by training in that stimulus where your body's under a, a different load, a different stress of not getting the proper amount of oxygen it does 24 seven, um, it'll create some adaptations of trying to do similar work, if not better work under harder conditions. So when you come down, your body is almost seemingly able to amplify any work or competition performances it does with that because it's used to having to perform and train under much harder conditions and your body's used to adapting to putting forth its mechanisms like being able to do a 300 with less oxygen, a 400 with less oxygen, more sprints with less oxygen, building a lactate quicker, and so on and so forth. So when you come back down from altitude, you're able to perform at a higher level and also train at a higher level as well. Okay, and how long are the benefits from that supposed to last? Is it kind of a kind of a lifetime thing or are you peaking for a week after you come down or how does that, do you have any idea? Um, typically for when you're up here, it takes about two weeks, two and a half to get full out of, to start to see the full adaptation benefits of it. But once you come down, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I know I'm pretty sure coach Bowman's mentioned it. It lasts um, up to like a month to two months, ideally if you're still training in peak conditions. Um, but I, I would assume that if you're just improving your fitness level nonetheless, that um, as long as you don't go through like a detraining phase or too harsh of a detraining phase soon after you get down, the, the effects will be long lasting and, uh, and increase your training level and, and threshold for much, much longer afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the old saying is work works. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're doing the work and it's it's harder at altitude, then you're putting money in the bank, hay in the barn, if you will, if I can throw out a few swimming phrases. So. Uh, I think that makes sense that it would kind of be a lasting effect. Uh, let me ask you, just you've been there for just a couple of days now. Can you actually feel the difference? Is it actually a profound difference from training in Tempe, for example? Yeah, it, it, uh, you're definitely winded a lot easier, I will say that. Um, it's definitely kind of takes its toll on you because it's, uh, it's not just the time in the pool you're getting like less oxygen, per se. It's 24-7 because you're not traveling thousands of feet and, and meters and altitude from practice to where you're living. So the 24-7 time you're here of like sleeping, getting your oxygen for recovery, um, recovery is a, a lot harder for your body to kind of go through the systems it needs to, um, and it just takes a little bit more time so your body doesn't recover like as it normally t- as it normally does. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a lot, a lot harder um, it seems seems to me it's like the smaller things, the easier things in practice become a little bit more challenging. The heart, your heart rate goes up a little bit quicker on things that you wouldn't typically expect it to. And, um, and right now we're just kind of building up in practices. We're not just going right into 8K every day, every practice, uh, trying to get acc- acclimatized and, um, 
and acclimated to this to the system and then kind of build into it, build up, and get it more intense, more volume as we go through. Okay. So uh, I apologize for asking so many questions, but uh, you know, I have a feeling that most of our listeners, like me, have probably not visited the site. Uh, it's a very select group that's able to train up there. So let me ask you a little bit about the nutrition or the dining experience there. Do they have a cafeteria or are you responsible for making your own food? How does that work? Yeah. So they have a, a full buffet dining hall. Uh, with breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you kind of starting from the entrance, going down um, naturally, and by way of nature, I would, I would assume uh, strategically they start the the dining hall with greens, vegetables, um, some fruits, some of the more nutritious foods um, that are offered anywhere in the world. And uh, as you go down the line, they kind of uh, just like progressively get more and more like I guess bulkier, typical substantial meal items. You go like some pastas, some breads, and then you go into the various other foods, some steamed vegetables, roasted vegetables, uh, different types of uh, meats. They have fish, steak, chicken, um, different grains, brown rice, quinoa, uh, pasta, uh, and then they have like a, a grill section, which varies meal to meal. Morning, they make eggs. Lunch, they make sandwiches. Dinners, they make uh, different sandwiches as well. And then kind of um, behind that, they have an area for different like different kind of treats like granola, toppings for parfaits, yogurts, toppings for salads, quinoa, or I mean um, chia seeds, flaxseed, uh, dried fruits, um, different like recovery bars that they make in in the dining hall that the chefs make for the athletes there. Um, various like drinks, chocolate milk, soy milk, almond milk, um, and then they have a couple desserts as well. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's kind of a similar dining hall experience that you could find at like a college, but much higher quality and uh, much fresher and ready made. Do they still have junk food like pizza, or do, is, do they pretty much avoid that since it's top level athletes here? Um, interesting enough, they they don't have um, this isn't like the interesting part, but they don't have like greasy pizza or anything like that. But interesting enough, they do have. Uh, a, a full soft serve ice cream machine hmm. and also um, kind of like pieces of like dessert cakes available at any at any time throughout the day. So I thought that was interesting the first couple of times I came up here. And uh, also I thought it was interesting how many people frequent those uh, hmm. of here as, as well. It's kind of it's kind of interesting, but I guess if uh, they're at this level, then I guess they know what their body needs. So. Yeah, well, we know by now that not necessarily all of the best swimmers are also the best nutritionists. So, um, astute observation there. Uh, what are some of the other athletes, some of the other sports or teams that are up there with you guys during this during this training session? I know you probably don't interact with them directly, but I assume there are other other athletes there. Yeah, so I've actually been trying to, I guess, be a social butterfly and mingle among other athletes, but it does seem that uh, the Colorado Springs location is predominantly heavily oriented with swimmers. Um, so that's been kind of interesting to find out and, and learn about. But uh, seeing several wrestlers, um, uh, boxers, also some cyclists. Um, I think currently there's a Paralympic rugby tournament going on, and USA actually competed today and played, so that was interesting. Um, and they won. I think it was over Germany or Australia. I'm not quite sure, but um, – uh, very heavy influx of uh, Paralympic athletes, which is cool, and that it's very neat that they're fully like willing and to mingle and uh, talk with anyone that comes up with them. And it's not like kind of like your average like community where there's like might be a little hesitation towards that, but everyone's just 
treats everyone as an athlete, no matter what color, what race, what, what situation they're in. And that's really neat to see and be a part of. And I think that's a big epitome of what USA Olympic sports is, is about kind of just coming together. But it's been, it's been pretty neat, but I'd say wrestling, uh, cycling, and, uh, and then just recently volleyball came up, but wrestling, soccer, wrestling, cycling, volleyball, and swimming have predominantly been the sports I've seen here. Very cool. And talk to me a little bit about the facility there. Is it, is it an outdoor pool, indoor pool? Is there both? Is it 50 meter? Um, you know, is there any facility you swam at before that is similar to? And then talk to us a little bit about the uh, dry land or weightlifting facility. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the main pool is 50 meter Olympic pool. Um, it's equipped with every lane. I think there's about, I think it's full Olympic sized pool, so 10 lanes. Uh, each with two power towers available per lane, um, and then nice. that can be that can be adjusted to short course yards. I've never seen it adjusted, but um, Allison Schmidt, I was asking her if it has been before, and they, she said she's done quite a few practices like that as well. Um, but there is a short course pool outdoors as well here, um, which we'll be fortunate enough to get in once per week on Sundays. Uh, I haven't been out there yet. Um, but it looks it looks pretty nice. I think it, it just kind of reminds you of a summer club pool. Nothing nothing crazy, but gets the job done. Kind of get outside, away from the inside doom and gloom. Sometimes it might feel like. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the two pools, the two main pools, and then the the weightlifting area is pretty pretty spacious, pretty incredible. You have your typical Olympic racks, um, also dumbbell area situated. And then you have various. Uh, almost a, a pretty much a potpourri of uh, different exercise equipment and variables, uh, stability balls, um, kettlebells, uh, exercise mats, and so on and so forth throughout some machines, cable machines. And then they have a uh, kind of like a, a AstroTurf area and a track as well next to it for battle ropes, uh, pushing some, some weighted pushes, weighted pool areas, some uh, resistance sprints and so on and so forth, and that's on the first level. Um, and then there's also a AstroTurf ramp going up to the second level, um, and then on the second level is a full track, indoor track, and also is all their cardio equipment, cycling, spinning bikes, uh, ellipticals, treadmills, um, Versa climbers, Jacob's ladders, rowing machines, basically any cardio machine that you can think of they have up there. Uh, so it's very well equipped and uh, pretty updated from what I can see, and so it's been it's pretty neat to just be in that environment, and because uh, everyone goes about their own business each way, and it's it's interesting because especially as a person who's used to such like combined and team oriented like structured um, practices and stuff, it's interesting to just see that everyone's on their own schedule and everyone's like their own Olympian, obviously. So they got to do what they got to do, and the staff at the Olympic training center kind of caters to what they need. So very cool. So thank you for painting such a vivid picture of the surrounding area. Um, if you could, before we move on to another topic, just kind of now that we know what we're working with, just give us an example of a, a typical day for you. Uh, you know, just kind of a summary of, of what happens from when you wake up to when you go to bed. Yeah. So, uh, I guess starting next week, the typical day will look like, well, our practice schedule right now, is going to be 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. and then um, three times a week we'll have, or well, every week, every day of the week we'll have a strength training session of some sort um, from 11 
to 12 a.m. Uh, so and then three times a week we'll have a full-on lifting with weighted exercises, compound movements and such. And then on the in-between days we do core core-based movements and mobility. So um, a typical day would be wake up around 8 o'clock, get something to eat, a uh, banana and a bar, get some uh, Pedialyte or something to get a little hydration going, big glass of water, and, uh, and then head off to practice, get there half an hour early, roll out, stretch, activate before practice, go through the two-hour practice, get out, and then go to our strength training for an hour. Afterwards, refuel at the dining hall for lunch, and then come back. Uh, roll out, recover anything we need in our rooms that we have, trigger point rollers, cross balls, so on and so forth. And then ideally nap. Um, and then from the nap, I wake up, have an hour and a half, an hour or so of downtime, get to the pool again for a 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. session. And then after that, uh, eat, eat dinner, and then head back to our dorms for any available time we have after dinner, recover, and then um, ideally in bed from uh, from 9 to 9.30 and hopefully asleep before 10. So so I noticed that you did not say uh, that you were waking up at like 5 a.m. That's a nice little luxury. You guys get to wake up a little later than normal for swimmers. Yeah, that is a, that was a pleasant surprise. Um, definitely did not go with our schedule that we were holding in Tempe. But uh, it, it certainly is interesting. So that would be – we have a couple days in Tempe where we go 9 to 11, but – It'll be interesting to have that uh, that benefit every day, and to also kind of get back to a later later practice in the in the day, which will be interesting, five to seven. So, haven't done that since uh, I was a wee lad in uh, the age group days. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. But uh, yeah, the uh, the nine to eleven, I'm sure, will be more than welcomed as we get into the full swing of things. Yeah, for sure. And uh, before again, before we move on, are you allowed to share some of the names of the training group that are there? Or is that confidential information? Uh, I don't think it's confidential. Um, I mean, I'm sure via like USA Swimming or USA Olympic staff, like you'll be able to see it, or via the swimmers' own Instagram accounts, social media, Twitter, Snapchat. But we'll have swimmers uh, like Allison Schmidt, Sarah Rungi are here, uh, Becca Mann, Chase Kalish will be coming up, Jay Lululin, Kevin Lululin. Uh, I believe Nick Fink, uh, Gunnar Bentz, uh, Pace Clark, and then a couple other Georgia collegiate swimmers. Uh, Connor Dwyer will be joining, Leah Smith as well. Um, and then we also have a foreign Japanese swimmer, uh, Rusuke Rie. I believe he trains with uh, Team Elite right now, mm-hmm. David Marsh. So he'll be coming up Correct. as well. Um, I believe they'll get here either Monday or Tuesday. I know Gunner's at um, Mare Nostrum or Kinet, the, uh, the circuit right now, and that the World Cup circuit, I think. And then the rest of them, the swimmers are at Santa Clara. So I believe they'll finish up that meet and then head up here. And then once we're done with the the whole camp, we'll all be flying to Columbus to compete in the Columbus uh, TYR Pro Series meet. Very cool. Sounds like a very fast group, uh, a diverse group, group that you have not trained with before. And we'll all look forward to that Columbus meet if you guys survive uh, the trip. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we'll look forward to kind of hearing more information about that as we go along. But uh, hopefully, you'll get some time to interview some of these studs that you're there training with while you're uh, while you're at the camp. Yeah, that'd be a, hopefully, and that would uh, be a very neat experience. Good deal. So you know, it's been a while, as I mentioned, since we uh, last had a podcast, and since then, there's been quite a few coaching changes in the NCAA. Um, 
So for one, we had the uh, prestigious Auburn job filled by Gary Tiller from NC State, uh, the, the kind of renowned distance coach there, and uh, kind of a surprising fit for Auburn, mm-hmm. which is traditionally a sprint program. Also in Wisconsin, we had Yuri uh, Suryama from Cal Berkeley take over the helm there. And who else? Sergio Lopez at Virginia Tech. And Florida, Greg Troy stepped down. Anthony Nesty has stepped into his place on the guy's side. So uh, some surprises around there. Um, Grant, any thoughts on on the coaching carousel? Yeah, I thought it was definitely interesting with the Auburn hire. Uh, I do think that with NC State's sprint background, obviously Gary was involved with that. So he does have experience with that and first hands-on personal experience with that as well. Um, and then with the Wisconsin job, Yuri leaves the California assistant position, which is also still vacant at the moment. Um, still headed by Dave Durden for the men's program, but the assistant position is vacant. Um, as well as ASU, one of ASU's assistant positions vacant. Um, but one name that I thought it was interesting that where Sergio Lopez left Auburn position to go to Virginia Tech. So I'll be interested to see how that turns out. I know at the Indianapolis Pro Series meet, he had one of his swimmers from Virginia that was representing Virginia Tech swim very well and had a couple A finals, especially in the IMs. So uh, we'll see how see how that goes uh, along as the years progress and see how long he stays there. And maybe even bigger news than some of these coaches leaving is uh, some of the swimmers that have traveled away from Auburn. Zach Apple, one of the NCAA finalists in multiple events, has transferred to IU with the coaching change. And Hugo Gonzalez has uh, has also left Auburn and followed Sergio to Virginia Tech. Yeah, the uh, the Zach Apple transfer was, was very surprising. Um, but uh, being a good friend of him, he seems in a very good place, very happy about his decision, very comfortable where he's at, and uh, definitely – Seems uh, to be setting down roots and a smart decision to set down roots on a place he wants to have a lot of competition, great training environment, and uh, a good atmosphere for lead up into the uh, 2020 Olympic Games and Olympic trials. Yeah, that's a tough situation for a swimmer to be in when you know you finish three of your four years at a school and your your head coach uh, moves on to another spot. You know whether whether by choice or not, that's tough. So. Uh, and, and the NCAA actually has some ruling coming out about transferring that we will touch upon on another podcast. But very interesting situation there for both those guys, and you know you hope hope to see them do well at their new their new locations. Grant, that kind of you know I think catches us up to speed a little bit. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the swimming world, uh, but why don't we go ahead and jump into everybody's favorite segments? And we will start with everybody's number one hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> So, Grant, I'm going to go ahead and, and begin with a hot take about a recent contract signing. Uh, Katie Ledecky, as we all know about, recently signed with TIR, or TYR as I like to call them. She signed with them over Speedo, and I think this came as a big surprise to a lot of people. I think, you know, traditionally she has worn Speedo suits in the past, and everybody just kind of predicted that she would be one of the swimmers to sign with Speedo. And, of course, it's her and Caleb Dressel and Simone Manuel are kind of the three big names that people were waiting on. And it turns out that Tier has uh, strike first with with the signing of Katie after Speedo gobbled up Joseph Schooling a little bit earlier. So, Grant, what are your initial reactions to that? I have my own take on it that I'd uh, like to share, but what do you think about it, first of all? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, I saw a tweet today from Ryan Lochte congratulating Katie Ledecky on that. And then you kind of go through the list of athletes that TYR has now. you got Ryan Lochte, Katie Ledecky, 
um, Matt Grievers, Cody Miller, just to name a few, and uh, Leah Smith as well. And so they're they're building a very strong strong uh, collection of athletes there, and kind of overtaking Speedo it seems. I mean, I I saw a post from from Connor Dwyer the other day of of his celebration uh, from uh, Pride in Los Angeles. And, uh, and remember he was a speeder athlete, but also, uh, I just kind of couldn't, couldn't remember many speeder athletes. I believe Nathan Adrian, uh, Joseph schooling and Connor Dwyer are the only ones that come to come to mind right now off, off the top of my head. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the speedo swimmer that sticks out in my mind is, is, uh, Michael, Michael Phelps, but obviously he moved on from speedo quite some time ago and started his own brand MP. So uh, you know, I think they've just slowly really lost grasp of a lot of these young talents and TYR or TIER has really taken over and they've had, you know, they're sponsoring the Pro Swim Series now and they have some great marketing videos out. Uh, but yeah, they built this roster of, of supreme talent, kind of starting with Matt Grievers and, and going from there. Um, very excited to see what they do next. But basically, you know, I think that Speedo, TIER, they, they knew that not one company could get all three of these athletes, Caleb, Katie, and Simone. And my guess is that Speedo is really putting all the eggs in the basket of Caleb Dressel. And, you know, you can't really blame them for that. He's got a squeaky clean image. He's uh, one of the fastest swimmers. Well, he is the fastest swimmer ever, short course, certainly, and maybe long course before it's all said and done. Um, but my thought is that, you know, Tier oh, is... That's a bold take. Yeah, well, Tier is really forward thinking here because... You know, you look at you look at the people that are buying suits, right? These speed suits. That's kind of where a lot of the money is for swimming companies. Um, and women's suits are actually more expensive than men's suits because they cover more of the body and and uh, you know require more material. So with the signing of Katie Ledecky, I really think that Tier is trying to target female swimmers. Uh, in particular, I think age group female swimmers because if you look at the market, uh, you know NCAA swimmers usually have sort of their needs covered as far as whatever school you're swimming for, you're going to just wear the suits that is uh, the, the company that's sponsoring that school. For example, you're at ASU, you wear the MP suits, uh, and I, I, that's pretty much just the way it is. So I think the tiers really, you know, looked at this market and they've decided we're going to go after the females and we're going to go after age group swimmers. And Katie Ledecky, I think, fits that fits that target market perfectly. So I really view tier as being forward-thinking and kind of getting the edge over Speedo in more ways than one here, even if they do lose out on Caleb Dressel. Yeah, that is a good point. And um, I guess kind of an under undermining hot take within the hot take, I guess you, oh. could, you could say, <laughs> is... is Black mirror of hot takes. Hey, hey, that's what we, well, that's what we want to bring you here, folks. <laughs> Caleb Dressel doesn't sign with either Speedo or Tier. So I'm just going to put that out there. He's consecutively and continuously raced in uh, Mizuno suits, and has effectively and uh, successfully competed in all of his meets, his championship meets, in those suits. So it appears he's he found a suit he's comfortable with, and uh, when you're an elite performing athlete, finding something you're comfortable with and uh, goes along with your routine uh, makes things a lot a lot simpler, a lot easier, and a lot more manageable when you're coming to those coming to those crunch decision times. Well, I respect the the uh, temperature of that take. I do think it's somewhat oh. silly. You have to you have to keep in mind that you know for these athletes, it's about more than just the suit. Uh, they do have entire marketing campaigns that are being built around them, and I really think you know Speedo has a history of being able to support athletes and 
and putting strong marketing efforts behind them. Mizuno, although they may have the number one suit on the market right now, I don't know that they have a strong enough presence in America or the marketing efforts behind them to sort of guide a swimmer of Caleb's caliber. But with that said, I will, you know, respect your take and I will say that Caleb signs with Speedo. So mark that down for bold predictions. Yeah, you heard it here first. All right, so we'll go ahead and pass it off to you. If you have a hot take or if you want to launch into you like that, uh, we can go ahead and do that as well. Oh, my hot take might, might not be too hot in the world of sports but and might not be too hot to some people, but I think it's, it's worthwhile, worthwhile of the other nits for, for most people. Um, last night, uh, we witnessed the conclusion of the NBA season with the NBA Finals mm. um, where the, uh, the Cavaliers uh, fell victim to the clean sweep and uh, fell victim to bringing out the or putting putting away, I guess, the brooms. Uh, in you the closet. you forgot they actually fell victim to the referees as well. You didn't oh, mention that okay. one. Okay, well, uh, neither here nor there. The result is the result. Four uh, zero, clean sweep, embarrassing, embarrassing finals, lame finals. And uh, I think my hot take: we have witnessed LeBron James in his last game as a Cleveland Cavalier. Whether that whether that be, I've heard rumors of a year off. Which at this point I don't understand very much. And I don't oh. really believe, believe that hype, but um, that'd be very Jordan esque. Yeah, it seems like the the leading candidates are are the Lake Show, the Lakers, um, or the Houston Rockets as well, joining James Harden and CP3. So, uh, but I I do believe that the Cavs have had their last moments with LeBron, and uh, he gave him everything he could, even if he is punching whiteboards after Game One. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. hey. Uh, you know, when you put up 51 points and your team can't do, uh, put up anything behind that, then, uh, yeah, I'd probably be punching some whiteboards too. So, yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause, uh, actually I, I, well, number one, I was shocked that LeBron, uh, who, you know, traditionally has been an athlete that's always been able to control his emotions, apparently lost it in the locker room. Uh, even after that kind of bonehead move from JR where they let game one slip away, you don't expect that of LeBron. But what I was more surprised about is that that was kept secret for the last the last three games after that that's truly incredible to me in this era of social media and insider scoop reporting that that wasn't leaked out so uh you know kudos to brian winhorse lebron's personal secretary for keeping that one keeping that one uh secret and you got to respect lebron for coming out there and and giving us all and at least three of the four games um but I would tend to agree with you that he will be moving on. And I have my own opinion on where he might be going. And I think that he will be trusting the process with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, wow. as, as we all know, uh, their, their GM, uh, Brian Colangelo, has moved on due to some uh, burner social media accounts. I believe that LeBron's close friend, uh, David Griffin, will be coming in. And uh, he's currently unemployed after a, a nice stint with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think he'll take over the helm of the 76ers and bring in LeBron and make some changes around there. So that's going to be another bold prediction, the number wow. two one for me here in this podcast. Wow, that is uh, that is something very believable. Believe the hype, trust the process, and uh, seems I buy it. Okay, all right. So moving on to you like that. 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 Grant, do you want to go ahead and kick us off? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'd say uh, my you like that, uh, kind of we've touched on it already here, is uh, being up at the OTC, uh, being able to have this opportunity to compete with such great athletes 
and uh, I haven't even gotten to compete with them yet and train with them yet, but uh, very anxious to start and uh, to kind of see how they go about their business more or less, see how they kind of take each practice in and kind of just go about and learn how to go about as a consummate professional in this business. I mean, I've been able to see um, swimmers like Allison Schmidt, Sierra Rungi, um, in their own in their own light, but I obviously uh, more applicable to see kind of a, a younger male athlete as well in a similar situation like Kate or like Chase, um, also Connor, Gunner, uh, as well as Jay. Um, so guys like that to see how kind of they go about the, their business, go about their days, and what they do to be successful, and uh, how they're able to con- continuously compete at such an elite level. Like Chase just had his twelfth. 12th swim of a, two, a 400 IM, and uh, I believe every final swim he's had this year has been under a uh, 412. So that is a very big testament to to what he's been able to do, and over the course of this 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 year. Very cool. That is uh, that's a good you like that hashtag blessed to be at OTC. Um, my you like that's going to be actually usually I like to take it out of the pool uh, for these, and especially with the Dave Matthews album dropping recently, you know that would typically be my you like that, but in this situation, I'm going to have to go with an upcoming uh, swimposium here in New Jersey. Rutgers University is hosting a swimposium on Sunday, June 17th, I believe it is. And uh, it's free admission for all coaches in the area. David Marsh will be speaking. Jeff Dugdale will be speaking. Uh, John McCall, the head coach of Rutgers University, will be speaking. And I'm very much looking forward to being in attendance, learning a little bit more about the sport. And I will be there repping my my swim bros podcast shirt. So I look forward to seeing any area coaches there and, uh, it should be a good time. Yeah, that definitely seems like a, uh, plethora of opportunities awaiting, awaiting you. And, uh, I can understand how it'd be hard to kind of overcome the, the DMB DMB. Uh, you like that, but, uh, sometimes you got to put, put forth what's necessary and, uh, and just give, just give Dave a mention in there. You know, you know, they, uh, I've, I have recently been in contact with former, former associate, that uh, went to a Dave Matthews Band concert, and he said it just wasn't the same without their violinist. Um, so hmm. that was a uh, is understandable, but uh, unfortunate, unfortunate feedback. But uh, said it was a g- great concert, but they were certainly missing the uh, the violinist they've been on concert and tour with for so many years. Uh, yes, I believe you're referring to Mr. Boyd Tinsley, and we'll just say that he is he has left the band for a reason, a good reason, and I think that. Uh, that we should all stand behind the Dave Matthews band and, and kind of kicking him out. So we will, we will stay away from that. We will stay away from that. And uh, moving forward, we just have really one more segment left. And it's really, I think, you know, one of our favorites kind of growing in popularity. And it's Ask a Millennial. So Grant, this is the portion of the podcast where I, you know, come across a word or, or something on Twitter that I just don't quite understand and I have to ask you for some advice and some explanation of what's going on. So, Grant, this week's Ask a Millennial is a new phrase that I'm hearing and seeing on Twitter. Uh, maybe it's not so new to the kids, but to me, it's it's brand new. And it's the word yeet. And <laughs> excuse me if I'm not pronouncing this correctly. I believe it's spelled Y-E-E-T. And I'm familiar with the term yeezy, which is, you know, sometimes in reference to... A rapper, maybe Kanye or Little Little Wayne. I'm not really sure, but uh, okay. recently <laughs> I've heard Kanye. I've heard the word "yeet," and I'm just not sure what to make of that. So, if you could just explain that to me. Yeah. So, uh, "yeet," as uh, formerly known as, is, is 
it's kind of a word you use an exclamation or uh, or like excitement, I guess you would say. If you're like you're kind of doing an action or something, uh, let's say like you're you're throwing throwing football around or something, and you're if someone's going out for a really deep pass, and you're just you're just slinging it out there. When you're when you're letting go of that ball, you just let out a good hearty. <laughs> okay, well. Can you, is there any word in uh, the language for the older folks that it might equate to? Can you think of any word that it might be similar to? Uh, a similar word would be sweet, I believe. Oh, okay. That, something. Yeah, that works for me. Sweet. Yeah, okay. Sweet, sweet, eat kind of rhymes. So there's not too much. There's a pretty easy crossover there. Um, but it's it's a positive, positive term. Um, but yeah. That's, and that's, is it offensive my... in any way? Do I have to be nervous about using this in public? Um... I don't think you have to be nervous about it. I I, I think it's uh just have to make sure you're not using it. Uh, I guess just willy nilly out there. Like uh, went to the store and saw Yeet today. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's just blasphemy at that point. Okay. Um, okay. Well, interesting. Uh, maybe yeah, uh, uh, maybe we're starting something new here with the phrase "sweet Yeet." I kind of like that. It has a nice ring to it. Yeah, Zach. Do you have anything to add to uh, the word "yeet" at all? Nothing at all. Oh, okay. All right, well. Okay, and that was Zach Pody, ASU's number one backstroker and one of the top backstrokers in NCAA. Hopefully, Grant, he will be jumping on the Swim Bros podcast soon enough to do a nice uh, expose with you. Oh, he absolutely will be on a podcast. A one-on-one interview action. We look forward to having Zach on the Swim Bros podcast. And until then... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I'll use the NPR voice tone on my microphone. And, and Grant, you can add in any last words that you want to. But this is the Swim Bros Podcast signing off from NPR Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Grant, any last words from you? It's good to be back. And uh, oh, and before we go, I can't, we almost forgot. About within the last month, we have uh, celebrated and uh, and mourned one of the, the falling and the passing anniversary of one of the more proclaimed individuals on our on our podcast throughout the years the 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 prominent listeners and uh and good followers of the podcast have known him since day one uh and and the good the good being that that harambe is but uh he we recently had the second anniversary of his uh his death and his passing so um i just like to take a couple seconds here of silence and bow your heads for for Harambe. For Harambe. Okay, Grant, if, if you're going to ask for a moment of silence, I would I would appreciate it if you did. I'm not. I'm not trying to, to laugh. I'm just trying to hold back the tears. Um, Although it's been two years for you, it feels like it was just yesterday well, for me. So if you could just be sensitive to that. <laughs> well, as I'm trying to fight back tears, we were the same age when he passed, so it uh, it affected me pretty pretty hard. We grew up together. He was like he was like a sibling, I a younger sibling, twin sibling I never had. So. And uh, it hit me hard, but a couple seconds of silence. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we glad we got to recognize that, and uh, you know, we look forward to anniversary number three. Yeah, I guess. another celebration of life. Uh, and uh, looking forward to next year. Mark your calendars, folks. All right. So good stuff uh, from our first ever remote Swim Bros podcast. Hopefully, this audio comes out okay. Uh, If you're listening to this, then you made it. Congratulations. And we look forward to the next episode, which will be coming shortly. Yeah, yeah. And without further ado, this is the Swim Bros Podcast, signing off. R.I.P. Harambe. I said it.
again and again, can't get it out of my head, friend said, better off as she is, I'm thinking, it's maybe just a forget it, I'm too lost instead from being, too far ahead, just barely, to see where she is, I get it, it's maybe just that it's always a good love, like a shot in the arm, much more and I'll be gone. Do you know what Hundo P means? What? <laughs> Hundo P? Zach, do you know what Hundo P means? <laughs> no. No idea. Absolutely no idea. I... Oh, it's 100. It's 100%. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's 100%. Okay. I... I looked it up on USA Today. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, I guess we'll go with yeet. I don't know. Is that is that? Do you have a, a definition um, for that? I, I I mean I can I can work with yeet a lot better than hundo p. What about high key? I feel like haven't we already done high key? We did high key. I low think key. we did high key, and we did keeping it one hundred. So we already kind of did. We did hundo yeah. p. Okay. Okay.